Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Witch Fix. Today I'm looking at another film that I found on Amazon and let me tell you, it looks like Witch Files is going to be the good end of the wedge and here I bring to you the shitty end of the wedge. A wedge of shit, if you will. Now, before we get into the actual description of the film, I am going to warn for a scene which has suggestions of suicide in it. Nothing too graphic, but you might want to be aware of that if you decide to, heaven forfend, go and watch this film, which I do not recommend. This film is uh, rentable from Amazon for 99p. And I just want to say right now, is if this was someone's like graduate film project that they just happened to put on YouTube so other people could watch it, I would not be reviewing it as harshly as I am right now. The issue I have with it is that it seems like someone's final project for maybe like a master's degree in film production, but they have charged me money to watch it on Amazon, where I could, for the same amount of money, have got actual films that have been to like film festivals and been good. I was going to watch The Dark Song and instead I watched this, so it annoyed me a bit. Uh, that they would put it up there and expect money for it. Uh, but to be fair, the reviews did forewarn me. I was forewarned, and yet I, I did click. The film itself is called Annabellum, The Curse of Salem, and I feel like they only stuck Annabellum on there and then made a torturous attempt to justify that in the plot because of Annabelle, as in the Conjuring spin-off about the, the haunted doll. This film is also about a haunted doll, so you can kind of see why that they would want to draw that, that line between them, but I decided to watch it after having watched Annabelle Comes Home the other day and being distinctly underwhelmed, so I thought, I'll watch something to make that look good in my memory. So my first gripe with the movie is that it is only an hour and 13 minutes long, which I guess you can call that a film, yes. But when the opening is what I'm about to describe to you, and then at the end there are 12 minutes of credits. It's not a movie. That's basically an episode of a television series. So it's not very long. Uh, so we open up on some words on a screen. Uh, this is the theme for the first sort of 10 minutes of the film. There's very little actual acting going on, as we will see. It says it's 1691, and we'll come back to that in a minute, and Corporal J. Bradshaw is being sent to Salem to keep peace during the witch trials. The witch trials in Salem started in 1692, with the uh, allegations being made by a group of girls against various members of the, of the community. So, apparently, psychically, someone uh, has sent soldiers from England, not just elsewhere in America, but from England, to, to Salem to keep peace in witch trials that won't start until the following year and it obviously takes a while for them to get like from England to America. This is never explained but it's 1691 and he's being sent there to keep peace during the witch trials and then we get a little bit of Latin which changes to the war of all against all which was quite confusing but again is mentioned again later. We then get a black and white sketch of like I guess a street in Salem and then the camera kind of just pans around that for a bit while spooky music plays. And then there's a sketch of a candle. And then we finally go into some live action of, of an actual person holding a candle. And it's just a man who cannot act talking to his daughter, Elizabeth, who's holding a creepy doll, which looks like a China doll that you would purchase from a charity shop and then paint the face white. And uh, she says, I am not Elizabeth. Uh -uh. And then we cut back into sketches again sketches of the doll they put credits at the beginning of this film as well as at the end which is ballsy as fuck but all the credits are just over sketches of like black and white like woodcut-esque type things of just like a journey to salem the town the doll 
I will say that whoever did the drawings is really talented and definitely has a career in art, but it made me feel like I was watching one of those, like, like either the engine kind of children's programs that were old fashioned even when I was a child, which was a long time ago, where it would just be like a picture that someone had done in watercolours and someone would be telling you a story, except someone isn't even telling me a story. This is just credits and they go on for like six minutes, which is far too long. A card then comes up that says 172 years later, but then the credits continue. So I don't know what the point of that is. Put that at the end of the credits or better yet, get rid of the credits altogether. But apparently 172 years later, we get an external shot of a house. We don't go into this house at all. The following is just all in voiceover. We hear a man telling his daughter Sylvia that he's bought her a special present from America. So presumably the doll. And then we hear, I guess, the doll's voice saying he needs to be punished. He needs to die. And various screams of what are you doing, Sylvia? Put that knife down. Oh, God, she's got a knife etc. That is an external shot of the house in darkness which I had to stare at for the longest time because I couldn't work out if they had actually filmed at night or if it was just a, a still image of the house that they had colour swapped to make it look like it was night time. The jury is still out on that one. We then get another flash up of text that says it's October 2003 which annoyed me because we were given a year at the beginning. It was the wrong year but we were given a year and then we were told it was 172 years later. To give us another year just feels weird. I feel like they should either give us the year every time or just give us the amount of time that has passed. Because doing both leaves me uncertain as to how much time has passed since it was 172 years ago and it being 2003. So I had to do some maths, uh, which was probably wrong, but I reckon this is about 140 years later and that the, the 172 years later bit happened in 1863. Maybe? I tried, guys. I, ha I had my calculator out and everything. We see a little girl exit a house. She's definitely trying not to smile as she approaches the camera and then screams at the sky in front of it. So we have that. And then we get another flash of text that says it's two days earlier. So we are moving around in time like a butterfly on crack. And I can't take it anymore. Unfortunately, what I've just described is the most exciting portion of the movie because from the here on it gets dull real fast. Uh, so we're introduced to the building again. It's the same building as before, except it seems to be a museum in this uh, 2003 period. The film came out in 2019, according to Amazon. So maybe it just took them that long to just put it on Amazon. But there we go. Uh, the house is now a museum. We're introduced to Chris, who is the young security guard. Uh, Mr. Whitaker, whose first name is David, who appears to be some sort of curator. And Steph, who I guess is another curator who works at the museum. Their roles are poorly defined and poorly acted. Also, no one really talks to each other in, in the film. They just kind of like exist in the same space and occasionally the characters will just look at each other with a kind of dawning horror like blood has just started to come out of the other person's eyes but nothing is happening they just look at each other like i am in a horror film and therefore i must look horrified it's very confusing and i was watching that scene like again and again like why did these two people having a very stilted conversation look like they are about to get murdered and I could see nothing in the background that would suggest the mind-boggling fear that they're just modelling on their faces. 
Is that just how they look? Unclear, but it bothered me. David then goes up to the archive room, I guess to look for something. Again, he doesn't really vocalise this. He shuffles some stuff around and then finds a wooden box with the creepy doll in. There's a letter in the box with the doll and he reads like two lines of it that say that the doll belonged to Bradshaw, like the original soldier who was preemptively sent to the Salem Witch Trials uh, and that this guy brought it for his daughter Sylvia. Then he stops reading the letter, I guess, because he needs to read the rest later so it's more dramatic. Takes the box to the office of the woman called Steph and then just puts it on her desk while she's on the phone, kind of nods at her and leaves. It's really unclear as to why he's brought the doll to Steph. We don't see anything in her office which is startlingly bare um, to suggest that she's like some sort of doll specialist or if there is anything about the doll that she's meant to see. Apparently he just found this box upstairs and brought it to her for no readily apparent reason. This is after a lengthy bit of like at least two minutes of him just staring at the box on his desk while on the phone to someone, apparently talking about something that he's forgotten. Uh, while the box does nothing, but he seems to be frightened of the box. I even turned on subtitles to see if there was meant to be some sort of noise coming from the box, but there isn't. He, he's just staring at a closed box as if it's done something spooky when it hasn't. Steph gets off the phone and goes to the window because there's sirens outside and just looks out the window, which is fucking pointless and just... There's just so little urgency in any of these scenes. It's like the people are just sort of sleepwalking around. But she opens the box, looks at the doll. I don't know why the doll has been brought to her. She does not comment on this. But then she phones David, who's back in his office, instead of him having this conversation with her in the room. It feels like the film is doing everything it can to not have people talk to each other face to face. It's through like voiceovers in letters or they're phoning each other even though they're in different rooms in the same office when he was just there. It just feels like at all costs they must be prevented from speaking to each other, which in another film I would call a stylistic choice, but in this it just feels like they didn't really think about what their scenes were going to be. Anyway, she looks at the doll and has a weird blue-tinged vision of going up some stairs and a door opening. This vision recurs throughout the film and is never explained. The museum will apparently be closed the following day and when David goes downstairs it's to find that his niece and nephew have been dropped off. They seem to be about like 10. They've been left under the watchful eye of Chris the young security guard and he's apparently going to be looking after them because he says that they'll be coming in with him tomorrow because he has to do some work. It's never explained why his niece and nephew had to come stay with him or why they had to be summarily dumped off at his workplace. I'm guessing that's what the phone call was about, but it really only just contained information that he had forgotten something that was happening that day and was a bit scatty about it. There's no real reason for them to be there, except they need to be there for the plot as it is to exist. But it just seemed like a weird choice to not explain why they were there and maybe characterise them a bit better uh, for reasons that we'll see later. David tells the kids to hang out in the museum for like 15 minutes while he finishes his work day, which has so far consisted of just taking a box to another office without explanation. Um, he doesn't tell them not to touch anything, which I found weird, but they then go and run amok in kind of a sombre way. They're just like trying on hats and walking around the museum. There are so many lengthy shots of the museum in this film. And some of it is quite creepy because there are mannequins and mannequins are creepy, I'll grant them that. But the fact that there is so little actually happening means that the film kind of bypasses tense and just falls into a stupor of boredom. 
because there is no reason to, to be tense. There is no danger. There is nothing suggesting danger. There's just long, boring shots of, of creepy mannequins. The two kids are called John and Beth, and Beth is then scared by Steph, who comes out of her office at a weird moment. Uh, and then Beth also sees the weird blue tinged vision of the door on the stairs. And Steph says someone wants to say hello. So I guess introducing her to the creepy doll. The kids are then reunited with David and leave for the day. Uh, Steph is still being weird. And Chris asks her if she can lock up because he's going to go walk around the empty museum and protect it from mannequins. The next day, i.e. a day that looks exactly the same as the one before it, uh, David and the two kids, Beth and John, arrive back at the museum and he says, like, a storm's coming, kids. Get inside, even though the weather seems, from where I'm sitting, perfectly clear. Who is writing this dialogue and why? A storm does occur, but it mostly occurs in flashback security footage. So he says a storm's coming, but presumably it's, it's already been there. Unclear. Upon entering the museum, David realises that Chris is not at his desk. There's then a lengthy scene of him walking to different parts of the museum and saying, Chris, but Chris does not respond. Upon reaching his office, David finds that his landline phone is dead. He goes to a, a security area to look at the security tapes, rewinds one, and then we seem to enter it and watch a flashback of what happened to Chris after David and the kids left the previous night. This goes on for a really long time. It's kind of a cool idea, but it goes on for about 25 minutes and is more or less utterly pointless. So just bear in mind that it takes about 20 minutes and I'll speed through what happens because Chris is just at the front desk, then he walks around the museum, then he goes to Steph's office where the box with the doll is. He opens the box, looks inside and seems creeped out as if he knows he's in a movie about a haunted doll as opposed to he is a grown man who just opened a box and saw a slightly creepy looking doll. Like he, he looks at this doll like it's going to kill him. So I guess he's as psychic as whoever sent people to the witch hunts before they started. He then continues to slowly walk around the museum. He hears Anne, according to the subtitles, which I'm guessing is the doll, say his name. That That's creepy, I guess. He then antagonises the mannequins by jumping up on the displays and going boo in their faces. Like, he knows he's in a film about a haunted doll and he's in a hurry to get murdered. It's like in Child's Play movies where you see people, like, throw Chucky around and you're like, oh dear, your face is going to get cut off in a minute. And then it gets cut off. Chris is just being weird. It, like, ostensibly he's worked at this museum for a while, so... He's being, one, really active for a security guard. Like, my dad works in security and on nights he just watches DVDs and then does the occasional walk around to make sure nothing's on fire. But this guy is just walking a lot. Uh, and also he's acting like this is the first time he's been left alone with these exhibits as opposed to he sees them all the time and they have lost any kind of creep factor or interest for him. They've certainly lost interest for me. But anyway, after he's done you know, antagonising the mannequins, he goes downstairs to go to sleep in his chair at the front desk, at which point he hears his name being said by the doll again. He goes back upstairs to find that the doll box is now on the floor, not on the desk, so he picks it up and puts it back on the desk. He goes downstairs and goes to sleep again. Uh, he hears the doll say his name again and goes back upstairs. The box is now on the floor but open this time, so he closes it and puts it back. 
as opposed to what I would do, which is close it and then put it in a cupboard or something, just to, like, get it out of the way. At this point, we're halfway through the film and, like, really nothing is happening. He sees the vision while he's moving the doll around and the vision kind of continues in that he sees the doll standing outside on the ground and then the, the doll is him and then the box is opening and there's lightning because there's a storm now, but also, I guess, later in the middle of the clear blue day, what is happening? But he, he shakes off the vision and puts the doll away and goes back downstairs to go to sleep again. This is the third time. The rule of three is not for horror. It is for comedy. And I would like that on the record. Anyway, he hears the doll say his name for the third or fourth or whatever fucking time. And this time the doll is standing on the stairs. Now, this is not like a large doll, like the, the doll in Annabelle. Or like the doll in Child's Play. It's like a small... Like you would put this on a shelf. It's like a small China doll. I used to collect China dolls by the way. I would not have collected this one. It looks cheap. Um, but it's just standing on the stairs. And says die. Then we get a kind of perspective shot. Because like we then see again David watching the CCTV. So we're reminded that this is still a flashback to the CCTV. To the events of the previous night. He sees Chris like running through the halls and then getting through a doorway and being pulled back through it by an unseen something. David then freaks out and goes to get the kids and to leave but the door won't open. He only tries the one door. There must be more than one. There must be fire exits. There must be a window but he doesn't try any of that. He tries the one door and then assumes that they are trapped which they probably are but he should definitely have checked. He then puts them in a closet and remembers the letter so he takes that out of his pocket to finish reading the exposition and basically the exposition is Sylvia's dad saying I gave this doll to my daughter and she went hella evil and there's a journal that explains how the doll came to be so David tells the kids that he's going to sort everything out he needs to go get the journal to find out what's going on which would be fine and great if he'd explained anything to them because they didn't see the CCTV footage they arrived were in the museum Uncle David went upstairs and when he came downstairs, he put them in a cupboard. He never tells them what's happening, but he does go upstairs to the doll box in Steph's office, which the journal is inside, but underneath a layer of cloth, which was previously under the doll. So how did he know it was there? Unclear. He then reads the journal from the doll box, which is read in voiceover uh, as we get mostly shots of the writing on the page and the sketches that accompany it. So Again, more of the film is just still images. This is basically a PowerPoint presentation. The journal describes Salem and its atmosphere of mistrust and fear and how the community is breaking down. It talks about a lady called Anne, who is a midwife who gives toy soldiers and dolls to the children in her care and that she's a really kind and nice woman who couldn't possibly be a witch. This is belied immediately by her voiceover in which she sounds evil and crone-like but I guess maybe because she's just pissed off that she's being executed as a witch uh, so while being executed she curses the town of Salem and turns them against each other which is kind of like I don't know pointless because that's already happening in Salem it, it's oh, it's just a kind of a pointless curse uh, and she says that Salem means peace in Latin uh, and that they don't deserve to be called that I googled this and it is true and she says do not call me Anne of Salem call me Anne of Bellum so Annabellum like the title they don't say what Bellum means but I googled it and it means war I'm 12 and this is deep this is where we get back to that whole thing at the beginning with Elizabeth and her dad who 
couldn't act and was holding a candle. Uh, she killed him because of the curse, I guess, on the doll. Uh, and the, the doll was then taken by the soldier from the house before the house was burned. And he, like, I guess kept it as a souvenir. And then Sylvia's dad, having researched into the soldier murdering a bunch of his friends and presumably finding the journal having read it, decided to give the doll to his daughter as a present, even though the journal could not be more explicit that the doll is evil. So Sylvia's dad had it coming. After he has finished reading the journal, David the Exposition Machine is attacked by Steph, who I guess was still here and maybe was here all night or has come in recently, who knows. But she pretends to break his legs with a hammer. And I say pretends because it sounds fake. Then there's a shot of him like tipping his feet together on the floor to make it look like his legs are broken. And then a wider shot in which they very clearly are not. And then she holds up a really big pair of scissors with both hands like around the handles like pointing them straight down and then does a really shallow like stab at the camera and then another shot the scissors has been rammed straight through his mouth and into his neck not vertically as she was holding them before so that's stupid and then the doll has her take the scissors out of david and kill herself with them so steph's gone I will point out that the way she chooses to do this is to open the scissors at her neck and then the camera is just on her face and we hear a really kind of lacklustre, like she's taking the tag off of a brand new pair of pants and uh, then I guess she's dead. And then takes control of Beth, who goes after John. And at this point, who the fuck even cares? Because for better or worse, for all intents and purposes, David was our protagonist. He's the character we've been following I'm going to say for the whole movie, even though it's like only 45 minutes of content. But he's the one we've seen everything through. He's the one who knows all the lore. And he's dead. Steph is dead. Chris is dead. And now we're left with these two kids who've basically said five words in the whole film. We don't know why they're there. Anything about their home life. There was no opportunity taken earlier to characterise them. Th these kids don't matter in terms of the film. So who cares? It would be like... If in Jurassic Park, you didn't have any scenes with the kids in before they're the ones in danger. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, so there's then a really slow chase scene, which I mostly ignored. Because, again, who gives a shit? Uh, but Beth slowly pursues John through the building. While he runs like he's been asked to go and get a tennis ball that's gone over a hedge. But he doesn't want to go. He, he runs slowly is what I'm saying and she just kind of walks after him holding the doll he then presumably gets got and Beth goes outside to do that scream thing that she did at the beginning some police then turn up they're not really in the film that long but they are called Jim and Mike so that's their names uh, we're told that Beth is saying that basically Steph was responsible for all the murders and that she is the sole survivor so Beth's probably going to get away with it uh, Mike then goes to talk to Beth outside and she asks for her bag which she's hidden the journal in so now she has the doll and the journal and then she leaves with both and then 12 minutes of credits now at the core of this film there is a semi-decent story uh, i feel like i've watched another film maybe it was the curse of the witch's doll that would make sense where there was a, a doll that was cursed by a witch uh in the salem witch trials that's sort of similar but i liked the backstory of this uh, particular doll 
it kind of made sense that it would be a doll because of that thing they said about Anne giving out dolls and things to children, that she would just have them lying around. I don't know that they would have been like the kind of doll that it is, but I will let that go. This also looks like a doll and not like it was designed to be a prop in a film, like the Annabelle doll and the doll from Curse of the Witch. They both look like puppets less than they do actual dolls. So I kind of liked that. I also liked that you never saw it move on its own, which is something that I do quite like about the Annabelle films, uh, because I feel like as soon as you actually see it move, it becomes slightly less scary somehow. So then they nicely so sidestep that, and there's some very good moments in theory in the film that could be quite spooky like all the bits of the mannequins with their weird cloth faces i feel like that's a really scary episode of doctor who in the making it has some atmosphere and some good ideas but completely ruins them with just its plodding presentation the fact that it feels like about two minutes worth of substance has been stretched to fill 45 minutes also that really long sequence at the beginning with like the pictures and the credits and telling you the different times and it just bogs it down and makes it really slow and we don't find out enough about our central characters to actually care about any of the subsequent happenings. The acting is all sort of uniformly terrible as well so what little there is in terms of like good plot is kind of ruined in the delivery although most of the voiceovers are pretty well done. What this mostly reminded me of and here I'm going to talk about something that I actually enjoy a lot, was the Magnus Archives podcast, which if you haven't listened to, and if you enjoy Britishness and horror, definitely go listen to, because it has both of those things, and it's incredibly good. But I felt like this was a terrible dramatisation of what would be a fairly good episode of that podcast, because in that podcast, it is statements being read about terrifying things that have happened to people. And that is a very different feel to a movie. It felt like what this was was just a lot of voiceovers, which would have worked better as a podcast and would have had the added advantage of, you know, not having all the really long shots of just the museum and some like Silent Hill 2 sad, creepy Japanese video game music. It kind of works as like a reasonably good episode of a podcast in the sense that the story is quite good. There's some lore there. I think if you told it right, there would be a lot of chills in the story. But as a film, it just does not work. My advice, if you are considering watching this, if you have this bookmarked somewhere on Amazon, is to save your 99p, go to your favourite podcasting app, which hopefully you're already using to listen to me, look up the Magnus archives, and then listen to that, because that's excellent, and then forget about this film entirely. Uh, and that's my two cents on the subject. I hope you've enjoyed this review. If there are any other films that you'd like me to look at that are on Amazon or otherwise out there in the world, do get in touch. Uh, I have quite a few bookmarked already, but I'm always looking for more. I'm always looking for terrible films and good films alike. So let me know in the usual ways on Twitter or in the comment section on the YouTube version of the podcast. Don't forget to go follow over on Instagram at Witchfix Podcast. And in the meantime, I will see you in the next episode. Bye!